Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take this opportunity today as we look into the Word of God to uh, finish a series of messages that, uh, that I've titled Peace on Earth, Goodwill Towards Men. This, of course, comes from the famous Christmas song. Uh, the, the, uh, the Christmas bells uh, were ringing, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This uh, Christmas song, of course, uh, came out of the bloody civil war that was fought in our nation uh, so many years ago. And, of course, during that civil war that was fought, here is the author of that Christmas hymn. Uh, he had sent his son off to battle, and th- th- that son was injured uh, during, a war- during the war. I believe that was in uh, South Carolina that he was injured in battle. Uh, thankfully, he did not die from his injuries, but as he came back home, uh, it was December in late 1860s, and uh, there's this, this poet, this author, looking at his son, nursing him back to health. And it's the Christmas season as it is now. And he's writing a poem about the difficulties of the war during Christmas time. And as you know, in the lyrics of that song, it says that the, the, the words, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, sometimes going through this life mocks that song. Going through the difficulties and pain and challenges of this life mocks the idea of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Well, thankfully, as this author is writing that poem, he hears ringing out across his town the bells of Christmas from the local church. They were announcing the upcoming Christmas season, and he was inspired as he heard those Christmas bells, and he was reminded of what we should be reminded of today, that in the midst of our pain and suffering, that's where the hope of Christmas is the most powerful. As I mentioned, it is the arrival of the Lord right in the middle of our mess. This is the power of the Christmas season and the arrival of hope in the midst of tragedy. It's the arrival of light in the midst of darkness. And I want to announce to you this morning that the announcement of goodwill toward men, peace on earth, is just as powerful today as it was when it was spoken on that night when Jesus was born. This comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is the announcement of the heavenly host of angels 
over uh, what does the birth of this baby mean? It means peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Does that mean that every problem is solved? That all hunger is erased? That every want and every need has been uh, vanished? No, it does not. But it does mean that we have hope in the midst of our pain and suffering and difficulty. Peace on earth. I just want you to think about that. Uh, I, I looked it up just because I was curious. Over the past 3,400 years of human history, the absence of war has only occurred in 268 out of those 3,400 years. Approximately 8% of recorded history. Those are only the wars that we know about. No doubt that there were unrecorded wars even in those 268 years. It is impossible for us to think about a world without war, without suffering, without difficulty, and that is a direct result of human sin, isn't it? It's a direct result of our rebellion against God and our fights that we have with one another. This is part of the nature of sin. It causes us to turn on God and to turn on one another. And because of that, peace on earth is an idea that is, it can seem something only true in the abstract, only true in some possible world. But I tell you, what Jesus came to do was establish peace on earth. But I want to make a point this morning with this message that the ultimate peace that God wants to bring to this earth is not necessarily peace between nations. It's not even necessarily peace between people. But the most powerful peace that Jesus came to deliver to us is peace with our Creator. In other words, peace with God. And that is the message of uh, title of my message this morning. We have peace on earth because we have peace with God. Let's read the scripture together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, which says these words. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus. I pray, God, that, that your people would gather together, Lord, in the spirit of yearning, God, for your return, for your presence, for your power and revelation. I'm praying, God, once again, that your, that your word would speak to us through your spirit. God, that you would give us that peace on earth as we find peace with you through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you glory for all you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Let's look at reconciliation. So I want to uh, just, uh, as we get into the scripture this morning, I want to make a statement, uh, a clarification. Uh, as I was having a discussion with our brother Andre last night, he reminded me of something that maybe a balance that I br did not bring out. The peace on earth 
that is meant by this heavenly host of angels is not some panacea, uh, some perfect environment that Jesus came to bring on the earth. In fact, uh, to balance what this peace on earth is meant or what is meant by it, listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, when he says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. And you say, can these two scriptures exist at the same time? And the the truth of the matter is that those of us who live in this world, but are not of this world, that we do not experience a whole lot of peace. Because the peace that Jesus is speaking of, the peace on earth, is not meant for this world in the way that it is Now, in fact, many times you've probably uh, experienced this in your life. When you confess to an unbelieving world that you are a believer, when you confess that you are a follower of Jesus, the world doesn't just embrace you and say, oh, that's so wonderful, so glad you're living for the Lord. Isn't that great? Has that been your experience? In fact, many times you begin to tell someone about Jesus and about what he's done in your life you get a very opposite reaction, don't you? You get doors slammed in your face. Uh, if you have a tract in your hand, I've ha- had people take my, uh, my church flyer that we paid money for and crumple it up in my face and throw it at me. I've had people, uh, because of the name of Jesus, can I remind you that they crucified Jesus? <laughs> can I remind you that the world rejected him? And he said, if you are my followers, don't think it's strange if you are persecuted, because they persecuted me first. So don't get the idea that the peace we're speaking about means that life is just going to be hunky-dory while you live here on earth. But I want to propose that the peace on earth is a better peace. It is the peace that is coming eventually. It is the peace that Jesus will deliver riding on a white horse. And when he claims his throne as king of the universe, well then, we will have peace on earth. But today I want to remind you of the peace on earth that begins in the human heart. Reconciliation is a very, very important idea for the Christian. So right now, of course, is the mad dash to make sure you've got enough presents for everybody, right, before Christmas arrives. And one of the problems many people face is that uh, you know, after you spend all the money and after you, uh, you uh, get all the credit cards, you, you know, you, you, you face December 26th and you have to then reconcile your whole life. You have to begin, okay, I, I have to pay this, I have to begin, we have to put the books back in order after all of the spending that's been done, Right? Uh, And so what we have to do is we have to make sure there's no disagreement between what you've spent and what you're earning. And for some people, uh, it takes you uh, 10 months out of the year to catch up with all the Christmas spending you've done because there's no agreement between what you've spent and what you earn. What we need, reconciliation means, the definition of that word, it means to make things friendly again. Make things friendly again. Uh, Maybe you have a Christmas tradition to watch Christmas movies in your house. 
Uh, one that stands out in my mind is Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin. In that uh, movie, there is a, there's an old man. You remember the old scary man with the shovel? And uh, when he begins speaking to that man, he, he discovers that he has a son. And a relationship was put on ice. There was a disagreement between them. And I am afraid that there are so many people that are in a situation like that. Maybe with a loved one, someone you care about, that there is a disagreement. There has been a falling out. The end of that movie, you will see that there's the father and the son after a long time who are embracing one another again. That is the power of reconciliation. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Sometimes husbands and wives, they become disillusioned in their relationship. Separation occurs. One of the most beautiful things that can ever happen is when a husband and wife become reconciled. Things work out for the better. When there are long-standing problems between two people and they are made friendly again. I want to tell you, the biggest disagreement that you have, the biggest problem in your life is not with another person. Because of your sin and because of mine, we have an unfriendly relationship with God. We very often say, I got saved, right? To describe our Christianity, we say, I got saved. And an interesting question to think about, what did you get saved from? To answer that question properly, you have to think, what was going to happen to you if you didn't get saved? Well, you were saved from hell, right? But it's more than that. Were you saved from a life of sin? Yes, that's certainly true, but it's actually more than that. When you say you got saved, if you're a believer here this morning, what you are saying is that you got saved from God's wrath, from His anger against your sin, because it is God's wrath which leads to that separation, and God's wrath and anger which leads to the eventual punishment in hell for all eternity. This is a generation, and we don't want to talk about God's wrath. We want to pretend that it doesn't exist. But can I tell you, God is still angry about sin. That fornication, lies, adultery, uh, drunkenness, and all the like, God is angry about that. I didn't say that God hates you. I said that God hates your sin. And because of God's wrath, He has to deal in righteousness this is why we have a problem with God. There is a disagreement. There is a falling out because of your sin and mine. The story of the gospel is a story of reconciliation. Not that God uh, relents from his anger and just decides, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a nice guy <laughs> and I'm going to receive all of the sinners. It's not like that. It's because of what Jesus did because on the cross, he paid the price, he paid the penalty that you and I don't have to pay, through the cross makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. You see that God has not changed in this situation. 
God has not changed. He's still angry about sin. He is still in love with righteousness. But it is us, it is we who have a desperate need to be changed so that we can be reconciled to God. God reconciled the world to himself in Christ. Romans 5 verse 9 says it like this. We have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It is Jesus who provides the possibility to be reconciled to God. That was a really good place to say amen. It is because that God still cares about you, even though you and I, we are sinners, and we have offended God with our life, with our words, with our thoughts. Is that still true? We've offended God with how we live and what we said and what we even thought. We've offended Him and separated ourselves, and He is holy, and we are not. But He still cared about us enough to send His own Son to die for us. That is why peace on earth is possible. Because God took the initiative by sending His Son to make reconciliation possible. God wants to be friendly with sinners. Only possible when we turn from our sins, repent, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we will, then I want to tell you, this reconciliation is possible. Now, secondly, what does this reconciliation provide to us? It provides access. Everybody say the word access. Oh, it's good to have access. People uh, want to have access. If you have a favorite band uh, that you like to go to their live shows, you know, you can pay uh, ten times the normal ticket price to get a VIP package, a behind-the-scenes backstage experience. And if you normally pay $50 for a concert ticket, normally that VIP package is four or $500, right? And there are people who will pay that price to gain access behind the scenes. Not everybody gains access. Listen to what our scripture says in verse 18. It said, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We have access to the Father by one Spirit. What does access mean? It means the right to enter in. This is the same word used in Ephesians 3, 12. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Can you imagine that a holy God allows access to Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, Romans 5. Verse 1, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. Say it again, access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Access may not seem like a big deal to you. Because here we are in 2020, and we're used to the idea of folding our hands and bowing our heads and saying, Dear Lord Jesus, would you hear my prayer? And he does. We're used to that. We take it for granted. We're used to the idea of entering into a 
a house of prayer, a house of the Lord, and gathering together with God's people. And we're used to the idea of lifting our hands and praising and experiencing God's presence. Haven't you felt that? Haven't you experienced that? And we're used to that idea, but I'm telling you, it is a precious thing to have access to God. There are generations of people who wanted to have that access, but could never have it. There are generations, there were thousands of people, millions perhaps, that wanted to have what you have here this morning, but couldn't have it. There were generations of people who, uh, who, who would say, oh, one day, just one day in the presence of God would be enough for me. Just one day to access the inner court of the tabernacle, to access the holy of holies, right? The very presence of God on earth. How many thousands, millions of people prayed and waited for the day that they could have that access and never saw it. And you have it this morning. This is, this is the reason why kids get excited to go sit on Santa's lap. It's access, right? I get to speak to the big kahuna, or at least the guy who's dressed like the big kahuna at the local mall. It's the idea of, I'm not going to, uh, it doesn't have to go through my parents, doesn't have to go through the U.S. Postal Service. I'm going to go whisper in the guy's ear myself. And if you are uh, forcing this, this, uh, co- <laughs> this conspiracy on your children, then the greatest thing you could ever provide to them is the chance to sit on the big guy's knee. And I saw him at the mall the other day, and there's Santa sitting there with a mask over his beard. <laughs> it's quite a sight. But there they were, children lined up. They wanted to get their picture taken so they could have access. They could whisper in his ear, and... Uh, and he could hear their requests. Can I tell you, this is what we have, not with a man in a red suit. We have access to God. The same access that the, the temple priests, they would spend an entire year preparing to enter into the most holy place. Only one high priest was chosen per year. And no doubt you've heard the story that there was a veil, there was a curtain, that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And each year there would be a special sacrifice on the day of Yom Kippur where they would prepare, they would fast, they would cleanse, ritual cleansings and purifications and washing of hands and sacrifices had to be made and so much blood had to be shed just for the chance that one great high priest could enter into that most holy place and experience God's presence. And the tradition says, from the Word of God, it says that they would have to tie a rope around his waist, and they'd have to put bells on the bottom of his robe, because if he enters that most holy place and all of his sins are not purged, God would kill him on the spot, and nobody else would want to go in there to retrieve the body, for fear that they would die too. So they'd have to pull him out by the rope. Guess he didn't make enough sacrifices. Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? It's like the Temple of Doom or something. Indiana Jones, when the, <laughs> when the lid comes off of the Ark of the Covenant and all of their faces melt off. That's the God that people wanted to worship in the Old Testament. And just 
one moment in His presence is something to be fearful, something that was cherished and coveted. But I'm telling you, because of Jesus, because of His sacrifice, we have access to God. Access to God. In fact, it tells us in the Gospel accounts that when Jesus breathed His last breath, that that moment, the curtain that separated the most holy place was torn from top to bottom. I have been informed that that curtain was no ordinary curtain that you would put on your windows at home. But in fact, it was layered upon layer upon layer, perhaps a foot or more thick, that no human being could have torn that veil, not even with a pair of hedge clippers. But it was God who reached down and tore that veil from the top to the bottom. And the statement, the idea from God is that because of what Jesus did, His sacrifice was sufficient to God. He says, I'm not going to hide in the closet anymore. When you trust in Christ, you'll have access. That's why Christmas is a good idea. It's good news. It's peace on earth, but it starts with peace with God. When the angels announced his birth to common shepherds, they said, I have great news, good news of great joy to all people that you can have access. Let's look finally at the idea of, of belonging. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like you don't belong? Of course you have. You know what that feels like. Uh, some years back, we, we, uh, somebody being nice to us, being very nice to us, blessed us with a gift certificate, uh, a gift card to a restaurant that we'd never been to and haven't been to since, the Ruth Chris Steakhouse. You remember that? Whew, that was, that was something else. We got this $100 gift card. You know, we're going to go in there and have a good time. I'm sad to say that $100 didn't cover the dinner. <clears throat> but, you know, we sit down, just two of us. I think we shared something, too. <laughs> but we sit down, and it's like, you know, we're not used to dining like that. I mean, we're happy with McDonald's and French fries. You know what I'm saying? And to go to a place like that, you really feel out of place. You know, the, the waiter comes with his towel over his arm. And, oh, so glad that you're here. Please have a seat. They push the chair in behind you. Like, man, okay, I can handle my own chair. But it didn't take long for us to feel like we didn't really belong there. Now, if you feel like you belong at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, I'd like to uh, have a conversation with you <laughs> after the service. But uh, I didn't feel like I belonged there. It was nice, a good experience, but definitely not a place I would return to, uh, you know, unless I won the lottery or something. I don't play the lottery. Let me ask you this morning, what places in life do you feel like you're supposed to belong? When we look at the Christmas story, and the truth of why this is good news. It's interesting to me how the Bible records so many things and people who don't belong in the story. Think about that. Matthew provides for us a genealogy of uh, Mary and of Joseph's bloodlines. And when you read those genealogies at the very first chapter of Matthew, you know, you're going to find some people that probably shouldn't be on that list. You know what I'm talking about? How about Rahab, the harlot, former prostitutes? How about, uh, 
How about uh, Ruth, the, the Moabite woman? You know, there are people, there are names on this list that when you go back and read their stories, they'll make you blush. This is not the kind of G-rated story that should be in the Bible. This is the kind that you have to cover up a little bit when you explain the story to your five-year-old. You have to modify it because it's not really one that should belong according to, connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, here's God who works in these people to belong in the story of Jesus. When Jesus Christ was born on the earth, you know, there was not a whole lot of people there to welcome him. There was a whole heavenly host of angels, but who else was there? Common shepherds. They're invited to be the first-time visitors to the incarnation. You have magi from the east. These were not Jewish men. These were not recipients of the promise. They were simply men who had read the scriptures and deciphered when and where this would happen. They don't really belong, but there they are. There are people, when Jesus is presented in the temple, they don't really belong to be there. But here's Jesus who gives them a sense of belonging. Let me make this statement. We're going to close. One of the most powerful things of the gospel is taking those of us who don't belong in God's presence, who don't belong with God's mercy and His grace. I can't speak for you, but I know for me, knowing who I am and what I've done and the thoughts that have passed through this wicked mind, I don't belong in the kingdom with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet, what the gospel provides is a place where outcasts can belong. Ephesians 2, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. Doesn't that describe us? Without access. A place where we don't belong. You know, there's people, and this is the reason why many people don't go to church. Because if they were to wander into a church service like this, they would feel like I did at the Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Looking around at all these people, I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. And the reason why people feel that way is because they have a sense of guilt and shame for their sins. What many people do not realize is that that same guilt and shame is shared by everybody in the audience. But our guilt and shame has been conquered. The higher law that I preached about, the higher law of grace and truth has made us free from the law of sin and death. Do you see, this is the hope of the Christmas story. The peace on earth is, it starts with the peace that you and I can have with God. Jesus died so that you can have a place where you belong. This is good news this morning. It means that we are changed from enemies of God to friends of God to sons and daughters of God. And just as much, if you have children in your house, your child probably has his own bed. Your child, many American homes, have their own room, a place where they belong. A place at the dinner table. You know, there's, at, at our house, we've kind of developed where everybody sits around the dinner table. You know what I'm saying? And when that person's not there, there's an emptiness. Where's dad? He's not 
at the table. Well, he's up in the bathroom, predisposed or something. And when that person is not in their place, it means there's a place of belonging. Listen, in Christ, we have a place where we belong. You have your name written in the Lord's book of life. That salvation is personal. It is not uh, according to a group identity. But he has your name written in his book that Jesus is preparing a place, not just for his church generally, but he prepares a place for you individually. It means you belong. And it doesn't have to do anything with color of skin, background, how much money is in your bank. doesn't matter at all. What kind of sins you've committed? Isn't that good news? And the good news is that we can come together as sons and daughters of a holy God, of a king. And we gain a place where we belong. Running around Virginia Beach, running around your community, running around your neighborhood where you live, your workplace where you labor, there are people who have convinced themselves that they don't belong. And your job is to communicate this good news, which shall be for all people. The good news that through Christ, we can have a place where we belong. I close with the best illustration I can think of from Luke chapter 15, which is the story of how lost things get found. There's a story of the lost coin. There's a story of, uh, help me out, what's the other one? The lost sheep, thank you. And Jesus concludes this chapter of parables by speaking about the lost son. The lost son, also known as the prodigal son. Bear with me for two more preacher minutes. The story of the prodigal son is a story of a, of a, a young man who takes advantage of his father. That there is an inheritance that the father has prepared for his two sons. That inheritance is meant to be passed on at the time of his death, right? But this younger son comes to the father and says, makes a demand, give to me the inheritance now before you're dead. In essence, he's saying, you are dead to me, dad. I might as well just take the money that you've prepared. That's pretty insulting, isn't it? Slap in the face. He takes his inheritance the inheritance that his father had labored for, had dreamed of his future, no doubt that that inheritance had a purpose behind it to invest, to build, to prepare a future for his son, but his son takes that inheritance and wastes it on what the Bible calls riotous living, the party life. Wastes it on alcohol, party, drugs, uh, sinful things, right? He takes that inheritance, that precious inheritance and spends it all the bible says that when the money's gone the party runs out how many figured that out in life when the money's gone the party runs out and there he is left all alone in a time of famine and he's the only sustenance he can find is to feed the swine and he's so hungry and famished and he looks at the food that he's feeding to the pigs and his stomach starts to rumble Wishing that he could eat the same. Have you ever seen pig slop? And he's wishing that he could put his face in the same trough and eat alongside those piggies. And he, 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 he realizes where he's at. 
how far he's fallen. And he says, oh, how foolish I've been. If only I could just return to my father's house. I know he's probably angry at me. I know he's probably uh, upset. He's disappointed. That's the worst, right? I'm not angry at you. I'm just disappointed. No doubt uh, that if I showed up on his door again, maybe he would just have mercy just enough to keep me around. I'll, I'll live like a slave. That's his highest expectation of how his dad would treat him. The Bible says that he turns to go back home and something surprising happens, something that should inspire you, that should show you why this is good news, that the father sees him from long distance, sees him returning home. And when he sees his son, there's no anger or vengeance or rebellion in his heart. There's no desire to see judgment executed. But the father sees his son and with his heart filled with compassion, runs out to him. The Bible says he falls on him and kisses him. And he says, that which was lost has come back home. He yells out to his servants, prepare the fatted calf. We're having barbecue tonight. We're going to throw a party because my son who was dead is now alive again. He's not worried. Uh, Of course, the inheritance has been spent. There's some bad stuff that happened. But this relationship to the father is more important. Than his, it's more important that his son returns home. The Bible says he puts honor on his son. He puts a ring on his finger, a signet ring, which represents authority in his father's house. He says, bring me the best robe, the robe of royalty. Restore to him. He says, put the sandals on his feet. And we're going to have a party to celebrate the return of my lost son. This is the good news, that even those of us who have spent our lives in riotous living, doing things, offending God with our words, with our deeds, with our thoughts, but the good news is that Jesus came to restore broken people. Aren't you glad this morning? Before you leave this place, God wants to do the same for you and I. If you will return from your prodigal living, if you will renounce the life of wickedness, there is a God, a good Father in heaven who will rejoice and throw a party on your behalf when you will return home to Him. This is the good news of Christmas, that you can have peace with God. Let's bow our heads and close this service today. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.